0: and welcome to Mummin' It, the podcast where we chat all things parenthood. I'm Harriet Shearsmith and I am indeed mumming it in my way with my three kids, but I want to know what that looks like for other parents. If you like the podcast, don't forget to check out my book also called Mummin' It, available in all good bookshops and online. Hi everyone and welcome back to my podcast Mum In It. Today's guest is someone I am really really excited to talk to. She is a paediatrician, she is a fantastic Instagrammer who I've been following for quite a time now and I just find her openness and her chat about everything really inspiring and totally different to what else is out there so I'm really excited to chat to her. It is Kieran Rahim and thank you very much for coming on Kieran. Oh thank you so much for having me and for such a lovely warm introduction. (laughs) It is it's true I mean you don't see many people that are willing to put themselves out there with their career and things like that and you also talk about Muslim motherhood and I love that you're really open and that your account is incredibly informative and educational but without crossing any barriers do you know what I mean you're not giving medical advice it's one of those things that I know I can go and look at if I feel like I've got a worry or a concern and it kind of just Puts my mind at ease a bit, which is really, really useful from a mum's point of view. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that.
1: That's really nice to hear, actually, because when I first started just over, I think it was over three years ago, one of the things I really struggled with was that the motherhood space on Instagram is very white focused. It's increasingly now there are mixed race families, there are families from multiple backgrounds. I have anxiety with my kids as a pediatrician. I openly say this that I have the knowledge and I have. 10 years of experience and even I freak out and so I can only imagine what it's like for parents particularly in this last year so it's just been a really great platform for me to share that knowledge without actually giving medical advice just so parents have some reassurance something to fall back on and to also know that they're not alone because So much of last year has felt so lonely and isolated and I'm really grateful that I have this platform where I'm able to speak to people, share the knowledge that I have, but also let them into my world a little bit and learn about something that they may not be exposed to in everyday life.
0: Yeah, I agree and I think touching on what you said about it being really isolating over the last year, I think it has and I know at some point during the pandemic there was a lot of talk about how parents perhaps ignored things that normally they would have just gone to their doctor I think quite a lot of us, and I know I did it at one point, I was like, oh, don't really want to take them to the doctor and think, is that going to be a good use of their time when they're already so busy and so under pressure? So to have a resource where you can get that reassurance, but also see that there is a, a doctor there saying, go take your kids. That's been really reassuring to me. So as a pediatrician, I just cannot, you've got two boys and I just I'm absolutely in awe of you. Like you've just said before we started um, recording that you've been at clinic today and you're juggling all of it. How Mm. is life as a paediatrician? How do you find it? How did
1: you get into it? That's a really interesting question. So when I was at medical school, I have what I would describe as quite a type A personality. So anyone that ever meets me knows I'm very driven. And I think part of that is brown parenting, as I like to call it. And part of that is I I have a cleft lip. So I was in and out of hospitals when I was growing up. And actually the people that instilled my passion for my job and a passion for helping people were my own paediatricians who saw beyond my physical disfigurement and always recognised me, my personality. They always said, you know, you've got such a lovely smile and you can do whatever you want to do. And that's what I wanted to be. So when I got into medical school, initially I was like, oh, I'm not sure about kids. I find the parents, really overpowering yeah, <laughs> and then that- I- <laughs> and then I thought okay well I like children and I like surgery so I thought I was going to go into pediatric surgery and then I met my husband at medical school and life just happens doesn't it you have to prioritize and I've never been one of these women that always just wanted a career I wanted it all and in order to have it all you need to sacrifice something and so I gave up my dream to be a surgeon and I chose pediatrics and I haven't regretted that decision ever particularly in the last year I've actually felt like this was completely the right choice for me and people often say to me how how do you do it you juggle it all and I always say I don't do anything there's a lot of we there's a lot of asking for help there's a lot of family friends there's a lot of pitching in so behind me honestly are about a hundred people who I could not do my job without and that includes my husband that includes my parents that includes my cousins who will pick up my kids on the days that I'm like oh I'm still stuck in AE. please can you go. And, you know, it's having that support system. And I'm really grateful I have it. When someone asks me, how do you do it? That is always my answer. I don't do it. There's a big we and a village of support around me honestly if I could reach through the screen and hug you for saying that there's
0: a lot of sacrifice when you have the I want it all mentality because as women in particular I think we are sold this dream now of have it all and it's not really something that I think I've ever heard men talk about or be sold to But it's very much that kind of pressure to be the best mum that you can be, be absolutely amazing at this, whilst also having this wonderful career. It's like the 1950s mum, but also now with this as well. And I think you never really hear people say, actually, in order for me to have the things that I've dreamed of, I've had to look and seriously think, what is it that's going to complete me and going to really make me happy and then sacrifice something else? Because we don't like to admit that we might actually have to sacrifice. Sacrifice something else in order to oh yeah totally and we do that is reality you absolutely do and I love that you just say it like that that it's
1: just the way that it is yeah and I think anyone else that pretends that you can have it all either they are not admitting to the level of support they have or genuinely they're delusional because you can't have it all even men can't have it all they can't have perfect home life and work life balance I'm really grateful my husband's really hand on and honestly he does half of the parenting if not more he does all the drop-offs, the pickups. I'm never there for any of it. And, you know, my kids say daddy before they say mommy. That is the sacrifice I make. And I knowingly make that because I know motherhood isn't enough for me. And, you know, I it's really funny what people say, but you're a pediatrician. How can you say that? But I'm also me. I've spent 30 years of my life being Kiran and working towards an education and working towards a career. And I love being a mum. I've always wanted to have that motherhood experience, but it isn't just, me. Motherhood doesn't define me. I need to go to work. So yeah, there is sacrifice. It's not nice when, you know, when everyone else is saying, oh, my kids love me so much and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, my kids asked for my husband. I get it. Adam's
0: really hands-on as well. And Adam's the one that kind of does the drop-offs and does this. And he's the one that has the chats at the school gates and that kind of Mm. thing. And I think sometimes you do look and think, "Mm, I kind of like that. But as you say, motherhood is not all encompassing. And it's something that's really fascinated me, particularly in the last couple of years as my kids are getting that bit older, Mm. is I feel almost like I'm in that limbo of parenthood where my kids don't necessarily need me quite as much as they did before. So I'm here, but I'm kind of becoming a bit more of a passenger to it all. And then I'm looking, I'm thinking, crap, I've built a whole career around them. Who the hell am I without that? And I think sometimes acknowledging and saying that motherhood is not enough just on its own, it's really stigmatized, and there shouldn't be yeah. a stigma around it because it certainly wouldn't be stigmatized for a man. And yeah. As you say, you worked for so long to get to the position that you're in. You should be able to take pride and joy in that.
1: No, I totally agree with you, and I think I think the level of expectations and burden uh, that we experience as mums, whether we stay at home or whether we work. I've stayed at home when I've had my children, and I've had the same kind of pressure, the same kind of like stigma, the same kind. Kind of BS advice from people, (laughs) you know. Whether I was working or staying at home, and you do make a choice. You make sacrifices, and I think men don't have it as hard. And you're absolutely right. You know, we're constantly told to be these picture perfect mothers and have these amazing careers. And if we're not having these amazing careers, and you're choosing to stay at home and raising a family, then you're expected to be the pinnacle of what motherhood should be. You know, all nurturing, all loving, often at the expense of your own happiness. And that's what we're constantly told that as women as mothers everything is about other people it's constantly about giving 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 and giving whether it's to your partner whether it's to your kids whether it's to like I don't know some charity or whatever the idea is that women sacrifice and give and I find that really really hard actually to digest.
0: Yeah I agree and I think that sums it up perfectly doesn't it women are expected to give a certain part of themselves constantly whatever part that might be and Mm. it's unrealistic and it puts a burden on us that does no one any favours in the end actually to be honest it really doesn't coming on from that obviously as a paediatrician you have worked throughout this whole pandemic how has the experience been and how has daily life been impacted for you within that role.
1: I think I've been quite vocal about how stressful it has been. So I mean my job is pretty demanding anyway. I work a lot of hours outside of nine to five. So I work a lot of evenings, a lot of weekends and a lot of nights. And this past year that has just been ramped up. So the stress levels have been incredibly high. And I think as a mum I've probably not been the best version of myself. And actually even as a as a human being because the stress has been it's really been all eating and work has been stressful because it's how you mentioned earlier people were really really reluctant to bring children in and in my experience when that happens we usually see children really late mm-hmm. and so most of last year most of the pediatricians have just been saying if you're worried please 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 bring them in it is safe for us to see them and unfortunately some of those messages have been lost because of people's anxiety with related to seeking health care and I think it's really sad because there has been a delay in presentation there's also obviously. Been huge impact to services. We haven't been able to see as many face to face patients, which means that children that need diagnoses or need assessment and things like that, they've been on the back burner. And generally in this country, pediatric or child health isn't prioritised. A bit like women's health, (laughs) very much. There's been a lot of funding that hasn't happened. So as a mum, I struggle with that because I know as a mum how hard it is to have a child without needs, and then I know how hard it is to have a child. has any sort of additional needs whether that's special educational whether that's health needs whether that's mental health needs and a lot of last year has really brought out some of the worst mental health cases I've ever seen in my life and that has been really really hard to come home from and I don't think I'm alone when I say that as pediatricians there's an avalanche coming towards us and I don't think any of us are prepared for it.
0: Right okay I think there's a lot of talk lately as well about it coming to an end and and it's over and we're coming out the other side of it now and I think even if we were to be coming out the other side of the virus itself it's yeah. what it's left us with in terms of damage to services and all the rest of it. I know
1: long Covid is something that's been talked about an awful lot with children. Yeah.
0: What have your experiences
1: been in that aspect? I mean to be honest I think children have been relatively lucky and I use that word with caution because I think if your child got COVID and they ended up in ITU and then they ended up with symptoms of long COVID you're not going to see it that way but generally the majority of children have been okay but it's more the other things the delay in diagnosis of other things and you know children that have like for example ADHD or autism or long-term healthcare needs and are waiting for things like wheelchair assessments or occupational therapy or physiotherapy or even you know your child's got a speech delay and you haven't been able to see a health visitor or able to see a pediatrician all of that backlog of almost 18 months now needs working through and I think as a parent it's really difficult and as a child and as an adolescent now it is also incredibly difficult and I think the concern for pediatricians is the mental health impact particularly on adolescents and young children because they have found it really hard they have been incredibly isolated and actually they have come out and said we are isolated we are anxious we have developed things in this 12 month period that we didn't know we were going to develop and we need help. And we are limited as doctors in the help that we can provide. And I think that's difficult when you see there's a need and you can't meet that need because of red tape or whatever else you want to call it. It's, it's hard. I don't
0: feel like mental health services, and again, it's no shade on the healthcare providers. It's the system itself. I don't feel like mental health is prioritized enough and I, mean, oh, I don't totally feel like services are actually there as much as they mm. could be does that make you especially with your own children does that make you more aware of mental health does that make you feel more cautious of your own children's
1: mental health and more sort of aware of it if you like it's a bit of a double edged sword to be honest with you because i am more aware of it but i'm also equally aware of the inadequacies within the service and i know how much i have to fight for my patients to get the help that they need and on a Sometimes it feels like you're trying to roll a boulder up a mountain. And so a huge part of me genuinely praised that I never, ever have to have that happen to my own kids but then a huge part of me also recognizes that mental health is so common the likelihood is at some point in their life they will probably have to go through it I mean it's how you say it's just not recognized I had a complete I hate using this world mental breakdown but we call it burnout within the service because yeah. I've been on ITU for like three months and then it was just peak pressure and I just I couldn't deal with what I was seeing at work we obviously don't have a lot of support we don't have any therapy and when I burned out. <laughs> people said things like oh just take a bit of a break you know you'll be fine think positive thoughts and all of that do some yoga (laughs) and all I remember thinking at the time was I really wish I'd broken both of my legs because if I'd broken my legs people would understand how debilitating it is to turn up to work with two broken legs but if you have a mental health issue just get on with it you know and it's not seen the same way and these are adults and so then I know the kind of stigma children face because often the response is oh what do children have to be stressed about what do children I have? My mum saying that to me all the time, like, oh, you've not lived yet, you don't know what stress is. It was never helpful, and that's not uncommon. You know, people saying, oh, what do you have to be anxious mm-hmm. about? Well, why can't you just snap out of it? Or, you know, once you grow up, it will be fine. Once you go to school, it will be fine. Once you go to secondary school, once you there's always that once or something that will fix this, and rather than recognising it what it is which is a real mental health need and problem. You wouldn't say that to someone, I don't know, who's got diabetes, a child with diabetes or autism, you wouldn't just say snap out of it. And that's the difference. We have a long way to go to get things like mental health illnesses recognised as real health problems rather than it being in the person's mind. I completely agree with you there. And again,
0: it's the same across the board, not just with children, but with adults as well and maternal mental health. It isn't taken as seriously. And I think. It's getting better. But what I've noticed is that it's getting better on a community level and on a stigma level in the way that we're all talking about it more. But on the level that, dare I say, counts, um, where you can get access to the help, Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to be improving. As a pediatrician, what kind of things do you recommend to parents who are finding that their child's mental health has been really affected by the pandemic? Uh,
1: you know, unfortunately, as you know with mental health, it's not a one-size-fits-all, so I think it's a recognizing what the mental health issue is because remember depression is different to anxiety, which is different to eating disorders, which is different to psychosis, and I think it's really important that as parents we cultivate a sense of empowerment in our children and reassurance in them but at the same time listening to them and recognizing the way that they're feeling is real and trying to get them to understand triggers and how they can manage their emotional and mental well-being better. I strongly think all children should you know do some form of wellness whether that's mindfulness activities whether that's like sleep stories and engage in things like yoga and breathing exercises. I absolutely believe in conventional medicine but I'm a big big advocate for alternative medicine because I use it a lot and it helps me with my own mental health so I think parents should be looking at new ways to engage with therapies and if they can afford it I always say go private which I know you can't do for a lot of people especially with the pandemic and the financial hardships but I also know that the NHS weights are what they are huge. And we're looking at two, sometimes three years. And you know, when you've got a child that really needs help, that two, three year wait can seem like an eternity. So it's about having the conversations, it's about getting them the help they need, speaking to school, working with everyone around them to understand and facilitate their needs.
0: Yeah, I love what you say about the more holistic approach and like the less modern medicine approach, what we think of as modern medicine and looking at a broader spectrum of things. Something that pops up on my Amazon Alexa every morning and I've just set it to talk to me after I've had the news briefing because I find Mm. that actually drags me down and it's by Kate Cocker and it's just... It's like a happy podcast that just gives you a boost of positivity and talks Mm. you through simple things like breathing exercises or focusing Mm. on what made you feel good today. And It can be anything from the sun on your skin through to hearing the birds in the morning. You know, so many different things that are really, really minuscule that actually when you listen to her voice and you listen to her talking about it and you listen to her just giving you that tiny little dose of positivity
1: it sets you up quite nicely and I think that makes a big difference. Like you say there are lots of free resources you can access mental health resources from like Mind and lots of other charities and they all have helplines that you can access and you know to be honest with you a lot of the work even within the mental health services apart from very very severe mental health issues is focused around behavioural management and teaching children skills to deal and address their mental health health rather than medicating them, which obviously has its place, but actually a lot of it is behavioural and psychosocial support, which is important. And we know that when families work together, we have better outcomes than when children aren't seen as having real mental health issues.
0: That is really informative and I didn't expect us to take the turn down the mental health group. I can imagine that it's going to be one of those things that is going to be incredibly helpful for so many people because I speak to people every day whose kids are really struggling with this pandemic and it can be on a really tiny scale mm. through to a really drastic scale and yeah. they're a bit of a loss for how to help them. So having those sort of small tools there that like you say, free resources as well as trying to get additional help is Huge thing. Yeah. Moving away from your work as a pediatrician and from your work within your career, one of the things that I have loved learning from you and following you for is how open you are about your motherhood as a Muslim and talking about your experiences. Can you talk to me a bit about how you feel that your identity as a Muslim has affected you as a mother and how you have found that in
1: the wider society. It's interesting because when I became a mum, so I was, God, how old I was, if you can tell I'm, I'm going to have to think. <laughs> I think I was 25 when I got pregnant and it was an unexpected pregnancy, which for a doctor to admit is hugely embarrassing, but there <laughs> you are. It was an unexpected pregnancy and I was very young, I was 25 and I was one of the first people within my social circles to have a child. And I found it incredibly, incredibly isolating because everywhere I turned, you know, social specialising around motherhood wasn't really a thing 10 years ago. NCT classes were there but it was difficult to engage with them and there just wasn't a space for anyone who wasn't white and I really felt like I didn't fit in and the minute people found out that I was a children's doctor it really changed the dynamics of our relationship because I don't want to talk about my work all day long. I don't want to be sat there giving advice to people all day long like you know I want to be a regular mum and enjoy time and talk about how my child is not sleeping through the night (laughs) you know all of those regular rites of passage and actually religion for me is really important and I think even more so because growing up in the UK it's been quite difficult having a Muslim identity and I I'm very obviously Muslim I wear a hijab and alongside that comes this stigma or taboo that I am a certain way that perhaps I don't speak English or I'm not educated and you know for me having my Instagram space is just a way of me showing that I'm normal and like everyone else and you know interestingly people always say oh you're really British and I'm like well yes because I've grown up here what else were you expecting you know and my religion is how I seek comfort so faith for me is really important you know motherhood is exhausting isn't it and it has so many challenges when your children are in hospital and they can be in hospital for literally nothing and you'll be worried like you know and I say this as a doctor honestly whenever I've gone in I'm just like praying (laughs) like there's no tomorrow and I seek real comfort in that and so to have this space where I can share all aspects of me and also bring some diversity into the squares that you see on Instagram it's something I'm hugely proud of because it also means that hopefully there'll be a mum who's watching who perhaps doesn't fit in and recognizes that actually there are people like her and you know motherhood is for everyone you know I always reach out professionally and as a mum to lots of people on Instagram and say you know how diverse are you really like in terms of like you know how you're promoting motherhood and fatherhood and how you're representing women around the globe because we are now a global industry right Instagram is not just for the UK it's a global thing so I think we all have a responsibility to represent the diversity that we see every day. I look back at when I first got onto Instagram
0: and And I was in the privileged position, I guess, of having everyone who was like me, I could instantly look and relate to somebody. And the more people that I speak to, the more I find that that hasn't been their experience, because it is quite a one dimensional app. I realise that we have a tendency to go in a bit of our own echo chamber. And it's perhaps through our own doing sometimes that we only see people who look like us. But there also has been, especially within the motherhood space, a real lack of diversity. But underneath the parenting umbrella, there are so many different ways of doing things and everybody can learn from each other. And I love that. But you don't get that opportunity unless there is diversity out there. I remember one of your posts, you'd posted about Eid during the pandemic and how you could continue to have your celebration and that kind of thing. It just made me sit up and think. And I think that's the whole purpose of Instagram is to think about each other and become more spatially aware of how other people are living their lives and learn
1: from it. And I love that that's something that you've put out there. I totally agree with you. And I think it's also really wonderful. And I say this, you know, I've learned so much from Instagram, I have met some really, really wonderful mothers and fathers and people that don't have children as well across the globe. And I think experiencing someone else's culture, experiencing someone else's heritage only adds to you, it doesn't detract from you. It's really interesting, because you know, when I did share that post about Eid, everyone was like, oh my God, it's just like Christmas. Like your kids are so excited. And I was like, yeah, what you see is a very one dimensional portrayal of people in the news or whatever else. But this is us in everyday life, in all of our glory. And yes, we love to get dressed up and the kids get special Eid pajamas or whatever else it is that we do. And I like being able to share that. And I also love that other people share that. And I think in the last year or two, things are becoming more diverse, especially in the motherhood group or groupie, whatever you want to call us. But I think we have a long way to go. I think sadly, and this is why I'm so vocal about having representation, because, you know, babies aren't just white, they're brown, black, and they come with a whole array of issues that are ignored sometimes because of their ethnic diversity. And I think the more we recognise diversity, the more we celebrate it, there'll be more recognition of the variety of normal. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? That's such a
0: good way to look at it, is that variety of normal. It's just Normal. And as you say, it's normal life and everyday life. And going back to what you'd mentioned as well, I'm not a religious person, but what I find really relatable is you saying you find comfort within your faith. And I think everybody has that thing that they find comfort within and that brings them a certain amount of just personal joy and personal calm and something that they can lean on. And it doesn't really matter what it is, but it's about sharing that everybody has that and it takes all different forms for everyone and i don't think that you feel that when you're in your own bubble
1: yeah and you know what like you say everybody and this is the whole point of having that diversity is to recognize actually you know we're all very similar <laughs> Yeah. sadly we all like to think we're really extraordinary, <laughs> <laughs> different don't no, we we like to think we're
0: special <laughs> but we're not we're all exactly the same we've just got different ways of expressing it and I love that because I think especially in motherhood when you have judgment and you have so much pressure upon you it's really easy to forget that actually we've all got this baby none of mm. us have really got that much of an idea what we're doing yeah. we're all no absolutely idea. terrified with it within our own different ways and Absolute. that that we can all connect together with that and I love that and I don't think you would get that anywhere other than social media I think that is one of the real big bonuses of social media and we've seen it especially across the pandemic where the only way we've been able to communicate with each other is via social media and via a digital space and I think that's been one of the few good things that have come out of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah for sure absolutely and actually I think social media has probably kept me really sane in the last year because it's given you those connections and it's interesting people always slate it but actually I've formed some really lovely friendships over it and had some really good banters online and really I really enjoy my online and I love engaging with people I hate saying the word followers because it really drives yeah. me mental but you know engaging with people and also learning from them like it's really interesting because I'll post something and people will be like oh this worked for me and then I'll share it with everyone else yeah. and yeah build that community and that tree of knowledge and it makes me feel wiser than I actually am actually <laughs>
0: that's very true I said to somebody earlier that you know with the old adage of it takes a village I think Instagram and social media can be your village if you allow it to and the best thing about it is it allows it to be a really wonderful diverse village of so many different people who have so many different experiences I posted earlier Ruben has recently done his puberty talk at school which means naturally now he's yeah. completely going through puberty and we must talk about it all the time Um <laughs> really makes me chuckle and he is he is starting with those phases and I've noticed that he's got like little black heads on his nose and mm-hmm. I mentioned it to him and he said yeah I don't really like them they feel horrible I okay we'll get some face wash so I went in and and the guy behind the counter was wonderful he was really helpful and I posted the face wash that I'd bought and when I got back I had an influx of teen and tween mums that were like hun I've been here I remember this this is how we did it and there were so many different responses and I think that in itself is a really powerful thing for mums yeah
1: Yeah, And you know, that's how I gain my experience as a doctor, right? When parents come to me, their experience of children is one or two or three. But actually, I hear from others. I hear from the hundreds of parents that will say, well, actually, this is what works for us. And that adds to my knowledge, which I can then share. And I love that social media facilitates it. And, you know, whenever I share like a medical post, parents that have children with that condition or have been through it will say underneath the post, this is what works for us. And I just think it's such a wonderful amalgamation of knowledge and tips and tricks. And and that can be, you know, simple. Like you say, skincare, it can be like where to buy the best ice lollies at the cheapest prices. And, you know, like stuff that you actually need to know. Stuff that you actually probably
0: would have talked about in the parenting group. If you could one or if you'd have found one that fits yeah. with you but you can create this space where so many different people that you otherwise wouldn't have met can now fit yeah. you, and you can create that so I think from my point of view I always kind of encourage new mums to get themselves a, a community online and to join one and to not be afraid of it but also take them with a bit of a pinch of salt bit of a pinch of salt maybe a handful of salt but you know just (laughs) just give yourself that space where you can create those friendships and those bonds.
1: Absolutely you know people always focus on the child and the baby or the children and actually everyone needs a village and that includes the parents and I encourage dads to have their own dad village where they can talk about dad stuff that none of us really understand and the mums can have that mum space and then you have that space of parenting where you can talk about your little one as much as you want but Nobody does it alone and nobody should do it alone. Yes, that's the huge thing. And as you said earlier, you
0: have your support network to help you with your career and you have your support network with other aspects. Nobody should be doing it alone and we don't have to do it alone. That's the best thing. We can reach out and we can say, hey, I need a bit of a village here and we can create our own, which I love. Moving to the last bit that I always ask absolutely everybody is, if you could give one mum hack or mum tip what would it
1: be? Mm. When my little one, who is now eight, when he was born, he had the world's worst nappy rash. And it literally came overnight. I remember this so well, because I remember changing him and we were in hospital because he was in NICU. And I remember changing him at like 7.30 and not noticing anything and then changing him at like 9pm. And it always happens, isn't it? When bloody Tesco's closed, you need something. And so I remember a mum telling me to use cornflour. And she and so, you know those urine pots that sometimes you get at hospital when you go. So she had a urine pot full of corn flour and she was like sprinkle it all over his bits and honestly the nappy rash will be gone. And me being the doctor that I was, I was like off a flipping hell like these voodoo crap stuff that's <laughs> and then I ate my words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. I, love I love that you're sat there as a doctor thinking, what a load of rubbish. And actually, <laughs> it turns out they were. I can't believe that. You know Ruben had really, really bad nappy rash, especially when he started on solids and it was all kind of fruits and things. My oh, God, yeah, yeah. it was awful. And he's the only one, funnily enough, that really had it really bad. And I don't know, again, he was bottle fed because I had lots of complications after I had him. I had sepsis. And I think he just was the one that suffered with it the most. And of course, he was number one. So I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So we've tried every cream going. And if I'd have known,
1: I could have just used some cornflour. <laughs> Well, so then, you know, I just had corn flour in my bag wherever I went. And it's interesting because I still recommend all the creams and stuff. But, you know, knowing children and knowing whatever law it is, is it Murphy's or whatever? This stuff is going to happen at three o'clock in the morning where you wake up and you realize your child's got nappy rash. But corn flour works wonderfully. It really dries it up. And then you can get the other stuff that you need. It really worked with both of my boys. And it's really interesting because now when I... (laughs) Now, when I recommend it to parents, I can see that look in their eyes. You know, the one that says, is this person actually a doctor? (laughs)
0: I always say I, I am, am qualified. Yeah, I am qualified. I promise you. It's just I happen to have found that this works. I love that you can give that in your experience as a mum. Pass it on to your patients as well, because that's when they know that you will know what you're talking about
1: because you're already a mum. So I've been a paediatrician pre-mumhood, mm-hmm. and I've been a paediatrician post-mumhood. And sometimes I just feel like slapping pre me <laughs> about some of the stuff I used to say, because not that it was wrong, but it was just so unrealistic. Yes. So not in keeping with what motherhood and parenting and fatherhood is actually like. And now that you're a mum and my husband's a dad, yes. I can really appreciate how the struggles are. And so now when I give advice, I'm like, look, I'm going to tell you this, but you need to make it work for your family. Because yes. each family, each child is different. And you really don't have that understanding until you become a parent. I mean, I've been there. I've rolled my eyes when people have walked in at 3 a.m. And I'm like, why? Why would you walk in at 3 a.m.? <laughs> and then I've also been that parent that walks in at 3 and be he yeah. might help me yeah. <laughs> so, and you are the doctor yes exactly <laughs> and you so you that. know there's been a lot of humble pie eating in the last no. 10 years so.
0: I think that's really great and I think that's great to hear you say it as well because sometimes we just will
1: not be prepared to look back on ourselves and go oops honestly no motherhood makes me an infinitely better pediatrician oh that's so good to
0: hear and it always makes you eat humble pie motherhood will find a way to make you eat humble pie yes and lots of it lots (laughs) of it definitely well kieran thank you so so much
1: for taking the time to talk to me can you tell my
0: my listeners where they can find you
1: so i am known as the munching medic on instagram which encompasses my joy of food and being a foodie a mum and also being a doctor so you can find me on Instagram or on Facebook if you do join me from Harriet's podcast do say hello it's really lovely to know and learn about you guys and do introduce yourselves because I do like learning about people and I always welcome a hello message oh I love that that's brilliant thank you so much thank you my pleasure thank you for having me